Hey there, you are listening to Power in Practice. It is January 7th, 2018. This is our first episode of 2018. And I had promised you when we spoke last that if I was inspired to talk about anything that was applicable to this blog, I would try and jump right out there and sort of get my thoughts out to you guys. And that is what we're doing in this episode. So this is um, a little bit monologue-ish and touches on political topics. So if you want to hear more about my thoughts on some of this in a wider context, uh, go ahead and take a listen to Herd Watching, H-E-R-D-W-A-T-C-H-I-N-G, herdwatching.com. And you'll hear um, probably some of the similar themes that I'm going to be talking about now, but applied to the wider society as a whole. So what we're talking about is what I'm dubbing the uh, consent again and this sort of circular firing squad that's forming in the New York scene, but that's just emblematic of the BDSM community as a whole, as now sort of the the zenith of the silliness that is the Me Too movement moves into the BDSM community and the huddled masses see their opportunity to drag down um, everyone they've ever disliked or, or everyone they've ever really wanted to drag low. Um, this is their moment and they're, they're sort of working themselves and each other into a frenzy and they're going to go ahead out there and get what's theirs. And it's interesting. Um, we, there's so much, so many aspects of this that are worth talking about. So let's kind of go through some of them from the beginning. So let's talk about, um, a quick recap of victim culture in general, right? So we're going to take it as a given that there's a kernel, an ethical kernel, useful kernel that all reasonable people can agree on in at the, the basis of every victim culture movement. In this particular case, it's that um, victims of assault should feel like they would be uh, at least have their claims taken with some degree of seriously seriousness if they came forward, and that it would be bad for um, victims of assault uh, to feel like they were going to be punished harshly if they they spoke out. Right. So there's some value to taking accusations seriously and investigating them with some degree of uh, rigor. And that's, that's an ethical core that's well worth paying attention to. But then wrapped around that, that sort of grain of sand at the core of this pearl of insanity and stupidity that's grown around it, that is used to justify, and the larger society has been used to justify everything from destroying the lives of college men uh, on accusation by anonymous accusation with essentially no investigation and no opportunity to present evidence in their defense. And then more troublingly, we see it in the incredible percentages of erroneous incarcerations for uh, rape and sexual assault. We see it in the actions of men all across society. So if you have an honest conversation with a group of men who routinely deal with women, um, you will find that they have built a huge amount of behavior, consciously or not, around protecting themselves from false accusations. And we don't really talk about it, but it's there and it's understood. So for instance, I don't know a male boss 
who would feel comfortable having a meeting with a female colleague with the door to that office closed under most circumstances. Now, that's insanity. There's no reason, and the statistics have never supported the belief that um, that this should be a widespread problem, and yet every male authority figure intuitively understands that to be alone in a room with a female is to place themselves at risk, to place their lives, their reputation, and their uh, professional career at the mercy of that female and whatever false accusations she may come up with, and that he'll be incapable of defending himself, that, that no amount of proof would be useful. So that has you kind of see how that goes, right? So you start with a a reasonable idea that it's useful for victims to be able to have their, uh, their concerns taken seriously or their accusations investigated. And it, it's used by a group of people who gain political, social, and economic power by taking those cores and driving them out into a massive victimization movement. And then it, it perverts, everything about the way people interact with each other because you spend all your time playing defense. Now we see the same thing in uh, the DS community with, um, and we've seen that over decades. Now it's been growing where, you know, honestly, my biggest piece of advice to a bunch of, to novice dominants when they come and talk to me about, you know, how do they choose a play partner or whether they should use checklists or whatever, whatever, um, I think they're barking up the wrong tree when they're trying to do anything to um, protect themselves other than simply screening out those people who are most likely to play the victim card. So, you know, if, if you're a new dominant and you come to me for advice, I have a very straightforward sort of watch list of things that I think you should stay away from. Anyone who has accused um, previous partners of abuse or assault um, I would stay away from them. Anyone who is routinely um, claims to be mentally ill. So if someone has as a core part of their identity that they're, you know, uh, proudly as a core part of their identity that they have some sort of mental um, or emotional uh, concern, I'm deeply worried about whether or not I would play with them. Now, some people, when you get to know them and you investigate, you find that you know, yes, they're, you know, they have a, a clinical depression issue or they have whatever issue, but that they have it under control and that these things um, can be worked through. And that's fine. Like all warning signs, you know, further investigation might show that it's worth the risk. But, but just off the jump, if someone is, you know, openly proud about how bipolar they are or how difficult they are to deal with or whatever, whatever, uh, I would stay the hell away from them. Um, Anyone who routinely joins in on witch hunts, anyone who gleefully jumps on bandwagons of accusations, anyone who gains a significant amount of their social circle from, um, you know, being part of a victim pyramid, right? So if, if the majority of someone's social circle and social validation comes from the, you know, all men are horrible, you know, or X, you know, blank acceptance movements or whatever – stay away. I wouldn't go anywhere near it. You need to understand that when you play with someone 
Uh, even in the vanilla world, if you're, you know, if you're alone with a woman, you're at risk. If you're alone with them and anything intimate happens. So if you meet a girl at a bar and go home and have sex, um, you're really at risk, right? So, and those were even in vanilla contexts where things sound reasonable when you say it, right? I met her at a bar, we went home, we had sex, yada, yada, yada. When you add in sort of any description of a um, BDSM or sadomasochistic interaction that could be spun in a way that sounds like a living nightmare to a vanilla um, audience like your boss or your family on social media or your friends on social media or a courtroom, um, you have to understand that that scene that you did, you're putting your life, your livelihood, your future, potentially your relationship with your children and your family, you are taking all that and you're packaging it up and you're handing it to this person and leaving it with them um, forever, four years. Because as we're now seeing five years later, six years later, seven years later, these people can crawl out of the woodwork and retroactively decide that that relationship that they've spent five years um, holding up as a sign of validation for them, now they're going to retcon that into having been a nightmare. And they're going to use that against anyone they choose. And if you don't think the person you're dealing with is someone you would hand the keys to your house and your job to, then don't play with them. None of the, nobody's that pretty. Nobody's that useful. Nobody's that good in bed that you want to, um, throw away these warning signs and go ahead and reward them with control over your life. And what we're seeing now is that an enormous number of men, predominantly men, male dominance, um, who have, you know, been enjoying using their, that their reputation brought them in contact with so many people are waking up and realizing exactly how much danger they've put themselves in and how many emotionally unstable people they have um, entrusted with their reputation and their future. Now, a lot of these people, uh, not all of them, but, but a lot of the men who are now being accused, um, were gleefully part of the problem for a long time. It is astonishing to me how many dominants um, have gone along with this sort of thing when it was advantageous to them, when, you know, when it was only the bad dominants who were being accused, when it was only those evil, no safe word guys, when it was only those, those people who didn't believe in the gift of submission or those of us who uh, dared demand that service was a real thing or dared demand that um, maybe it wasn't our responsibility to spend our whole lives making sure that, you know, the lives of our, our precious property was uh, all puppies and kittens, that maybe we actually expected people to um, be useful and prove their value. We have watched as our uh, theoretical peers used that sort of wave of accusation to further their cause and drive many people out. Um, now, I, I never considered these people my allies, so, so it's never been a shock to me. But it, it's been interesting to watch. And we've seen this in the larger society. I'll stay away from politics, but let's talk about Hollywood for a minute and the Me Too movement. How many of the guys who are now being accused are the same men 
who gleefully put out public service announcements, who tweeted and and were the first ones to light the torches at the feet of men they considered to be their political or social opponents when the mob came for those guys. And they were like, yeah, you know, those evil woman-hating whatevers, uh, you know, go get them. Go get a mob, you know, us good men. You know, we're... We're with you. We support women. I'm a, I'm an extreme feminist. I drink soy milk every day and, you know, yay, consent. Um, and I think they truly believed that the zombie horde they created, that, that the world they built where everyone's reputation was hanging on a thread held in the hands of whatever disgruntled morning after regret, um, crazy train decided that it was a horror show. These men honestly believed somehow that when the mob came for them, that all of their donations, all of their tweets, all of their, their little soy boy driven, but I'm a good feminist male white knighting was going to save them. And I have to tell you, I laugh a little bit to watch them go down in flames. I mean, I feel bad for anyone whose reputation is destroyed but it does kind of feel pretty good to watch um, these people go under the, the, the sort of screaming hordes that they've been feeding and nurturing all along because somehow they really thought that a world that existed outside of proof, that a world that existed outside of anything other than listen and believe was somehow never going to catch up with them that they were always only ever going to be pointing that, that gun of accusation at their enemies and that they would be safe. And I don't know, there's a certain serendipitous joy in watching it happen to them. What's also interesting is sort of watching everyone who thought that organizations like the NCSF were going to be helpful uh, when the time came has obviously not been paying any attention. You know, organizations like this that have sort of been attempting to work towards DSM approval in the mainstream world by pushing the the sort of flawed vision of safe, sane, and consensual, these groups that have um, pushed things like the, you know, consent violation survey and all of that stuff, what they've been doing is doing exactly what I talk about. They've been buying political and social authority on the backs of driving this sort of false accusation friendly environment. And as long as it suited them, they were more than happy to do it. But I've had debates, you know, I've, I've spoken with Susan Wright as far as, God, it might be a decade ago or more. And, and I love Susan Wright. We've had great conversations. But, you know, I was talking about this 10, 12, 11 years ago that, I know for a fact the NCSF wasn't going to be there when I needed them because I don't fit their model because I'm not a good dominant because I demand things that they don't agree with, that they can't agree with. And many people involved in the NCSF have privately expressed to me concern about sort of the direction the organization was, was taking, but they, they publicly support it because, um, it's the only way they can remain credible as activists. 
And we see that's the same thing with the NCSF that we see in the mainstream feminist community and the mainstream political world. Um, so here we are with consent again happening as the, you know, many of those, those people who have spent their time mouthing the same platitudes that they thought would protect them using all the right language, you know, going to supporting all the right causes, going to all the right charitable groups, donating to the NCSF, blogging endlessly about how we need to get rid of predators in our community. Many of these same people are now going down under the screaming mobs that they themselves have supported all this time. And um, I'm hoping that when all is said and done, it brings some sanity. You know, it, it had to happen. It had to come to a head. And I'm hoping that, you know, two years from now in Hollywood, that I will not again have to watch some sanctimonious um, asshole actor, you know, nine of them get together in some political uh, post uh, commercial talking about how, you know, we can't afford to live in a world where someone who's accused of a thing is going to get elected or voted on whatever, because I'm hoping that eventually these guys realize that, gee, it might be, just might be that waiting for proof is going to protect them too. I, it's too much to hope that people will realize that ethically it's important to support the idea of, you know, innocence until someone is proven guilty. But at least I'm hoping for self-preservation. They'll see, they'll see that there's no um, political or social gain to be had from it. Anyway, um, I've rambled on quite a bit. And hopefully uh, you understand a little bit about where I'm coming from and why I'm I'm neither shocked nor horrified by, you know, the outcome of consent to get in. Um, I'm hoping that what comes out of the end of that eventually will be a resurgence in a belief of uh, rationality and a rational evaluation of accusations instead of a witch hunt. I'm hoping that enough women see the lives of good men around them um, destroyed by the false accusations of other women that they're going to finally realize that um, it's costing them. And until then, there will continue to be two communities. There will be the the mainstream BDSM community, which um, sort of houses all the fuzzy bunnies and, you know, this sort of overt consent, rah, rah, rah sort of a thing. And then there will be the growing, disconnected, alternative community where um, we've sort of jettisoned the this craziness and we're only interacting with people who have a sort of sane and emotionally mature and emotionally stable view of the world that's based on personal responsibility for your actions. And we're, um, if, you know, those submissives who want to be part of that, who want access to the dominant to understand that, are having to sort of show that they have the maturity involved necessary that um, nobody's going to wake up the next day and realize that maybe they went a little further than they wanted to, um, but that they did that, that they made that choice, that they made a choice that maybe they're less than comfortable with, but that they're emotionally capable, like rational adults, of accepting that, that maybe they made a mistake and working with 
the people involved to hopefully, you know, not make that mistake in the future or mitigate the emotional damage, but not turning around and blaming it on everyone around them. And, uh, you know, I, I pulled out of the mainstream community years ago, um, because I saw this coming and not to pat myself on the back, but, uh, here it is. And as I watch from the fortified higher floors of, of the building that, that I've pulled back to and the zombie hordes run around in the street, um, those of you who are stuck out there, I, I kind of wish you, wish you the best and, uh, hopefully you will have learned your lesson when all this is over. I think this is happening in the larger society as well. So I have, I have high hopes for the future. I think we might be returning to rationality. We might be returning to personal responsibility, but who knows for all I know, you know, I do know that the, the sort of victim culture, uh, groups are going to be using this, uh, to sort of justify their own existence and be like, see, even those men that you thought were on your side have turned out to be horrible rapists because when we accuse them of rape, they dared to protest their innocence and they will attempt to use this as more proof that we need to give them more power. But eventually all these crazy fad, um, societal panics. And if you're not sure that they do end, go read up on the McMartin trial, go read up on the child satanic abuse craziness of the late eighties when supposedly rational, reasonable adults and societies and towns spent tens of millions of dollars investigating stories that there were like, you know, interconnected tunnel satanic cult rape rooms that were wholesale moving school children around during the middle of the day under towns. Like people took this craziness seriously because a bunch of psychologists decided that they were going to make a bunch of money around the idea that children don't lie. And, and for years this happened and innocent people went to jail, lives were destroyed. And, uh, you know, in many ways, the, the sort of teaching societies have never recovered. And we're seeing exactly the same thing play out in the BDSM community uh, in Hollywood, uh, which I just I love so much. I cannot express to you how much I love watching the self-righteous morons in the Hollywood world go down under this bullshit. Um, and we're, we're seeing it in the larger political space, though. There seems to be hope in the larger political space that we're no longer letting this sort of thing um, inherently disqualify poet politicians just because a couple people have crawled out of the woodwork and conveniently timed an accusation. Anyway, enjoy. I'll be watching um, and feel free to jump into the Power and Practice Discord channel. Come to powerandpractice.com. Go ahead to the menu. You'll see a link to our um, community and you can come in. You don't need an invitation. Come in and chat with us. If you agree, great. If you don't agree, that's fine. Come on, argue with, uh, you know, if you have a point to make and you can back it up, I'm always more than happy to chat with you. Um, and if you were there, if you'd been in the chat room, you would have been able to hear this episode being able to record, being recorded live. And uh, we could have interacted during that time. Anyway, it's been 23 minutes. I'm going to wrap it up. I hope you keep listening to Power and Practice. Those of you who have been triggered and upset by this, what can I tell you? You don't ever have to listen again. Um, those of you nodding your head and going, wow, I kind of understand this. Go ahead and, uh, you know, subscribe.
stay tuned. It's going to be an interesting year. Take it easy, everybody.